It is great to be here with you. Um, as Pastor was saying, uh, we were with Bibles International when we came that first time. Um, Bibles International is doing a tremendous work. We, uh, a couple of years ago, three years ago, I guess now, we switched to an organization called Unfolding Word, which when I told my father the name of this organization, he, he, he said, what is it? I said, Unfolding Word. Wait, what? What is it? Unfolding Word. Can you say it one more time? <laughs> unfolding word. And that comes from Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. That, that term there is actually very difficult to translate, that word unfolding. It has to do with opening a tent flap. And if, you, if you've ever been in a, in a thick tent and in the morning open the tent flap and you have light just streaming in that dark tent, that's what the Word of God does. And so it's, it's unfolding God's words uh, and allowing that light in and it imparts understanding to the simple. Um, our goal, if this will, maybe we should have changed the batteries in this one. <laughs> Next slide. <laughs> okay. Yes. Our goal is to see the church in every people group and the Bible in every language. And our work doing Bible translation is directly connected to churches, equipping churches, and church planting so that as the church is being planted, the Bible is being translated, and the, the, the teams that are planting these churches are equipped to do and check Bible translations. The needs for Bible translation are really, uh, actually, it seems like they're growing faster than, than we're, we're getting there. When we first spoke here, uh, we would have shown a slide that said that there were 6,800 languages spoken in the world today. So that was 20 years ago. Uh, now it's 7,500 languages. And each year this number goes up. It's se that's why it's 7,500 plus, because uh, they're discovering that what they thought was a dialect, it turns out it was actually a completely different language and they shared a few words. Uh, they're discovering new languages that they didn't even know about. And new languages actually are uh, forming. Um, after a couple generations of families that are separated, if they have no written language to anchor that language, often the kids can't go to school together um, after two generations. So. The problem, though, is that of those 7,500 languages, 4,000 languages do not have a single verse of scripture published in their language. Uh, there's, I think we just crossed 700 whole Bibles. 700 languages have the entire Bible. I think it's 710. Less than 10% of all the languages in the world have the entire Bible in their language. Now those are the biggest languages, those, those account for the largest population. However, those 4,000 languages with nothing published, approximately 400 million people, um, maybe half a billion people do not have a single verse of scripture. 
But notice there, there's 284 translation consultants. Connie's father was a, was a New Testament Bible translation consultant, checking New Testament translations. Connie's mother is a Hebrew uh, consultant. She checks Old Testaments. Uh, Connie's father is home with the Lord. Connie's mother expects to retire in three years. A hundred of those 284 translation consultants expect to retire in the next 10 years. So this is a problem because we have a huge task and the workers that are doing this task are actually fewer and fewer. We believe that Bible translation belongs to the church as a tool for church planting, for discipleship, and for establishing the church in sound doctrine. And what we mean by that is that as you wrestle through the process of doing a Bible translation, you are forming uh, concepts in your language around biblical concepts. For instance, how are you going to translate redemption or righteousness or faith? The, the church leaders have to think this through of what words do we have that we are going to, how are we going to communicate this? And as they do that, they're having to learn what is redemption at a deep level? What is righteousness? What is faith? And, and, and really dig into the truths of these things. Well, that's a tool. That is a, that's an opportunity for the church to wrestle with those things and, and drive down roots of this is what sound doctrine is. But if we take that out of the church, and we say, okay, as an institution, we're going to do your translation, we're going to figure this out, we're going to work with the language helper, and then we're going to hand that to you. We're actually extracting, we're, we're, we're operating from a model that, that pulls out of the church some of their most valuable resources of these, these leaders that we're saying, okay, we're, we're going to work in isolation on your Bible translation, isolated from the church. But what we want to do is that as we equip the church leaders to do Bible translations, instead of doing it for them, that we are training them how to do it, that we actually are working in a, in a regenerative process. We're investing into the soil of the church, and we expect we expect a Bible to be produced in that process at the same time as discipleship and sound doctrine are coming up as well. The, if you've watched missions, if you've, if you've supported missions over the last 40 years or so, you've seen shifts in um, missionary progress. The uh, black and white picture here, um, that is Connie's mom and dad, and that's Connie in the middle. Uh, they are in jungle camp uh, in Mexico in this picture. He they were headed for uh, the Amazon. Connie grew up in a mud hut with a thatch roof on the Amazon in Brazil. Um, so I tell her, when she has a sharing level of 11, I just tell people, she grew up in the jungle, it's okay. Um, she doesn't know any better. Uh, <laughs> She was just a naked child just running around. Um, but this was the way it was done. You, you 
pioneer missionaries from the States that were experts in Greek and Hebrew and, and in linguistics would go down and work with a group, learn the language, begin translating the Bible, and, and did that initial work. Plant, uh, Connie's father planted a church there um, for the Makushi, uh, trained up leaders, uh, left them with a New Testament and a uh, fully uh, an equipped church with, with pastors and deacons and um, was able to really hand that off to them. And that was, that was how it was done, uh, that, that um, Americans or Western missionaries were, were going into uh, these areas and breaking new ground. And we are standing on their shoulders for the work that they have done. But if you, as, as missions has grown and changed, and as that work has actually taken root and borne fruit, what we saw was an emphasis on theological education. That you probably have had missionaries who said, yes, when you first supported me, I was doing church planting. Now what I'm doing is I'm training church planters because the church has grown to enough. We, we have enough young men that are coming up through the ranks that, hey, I'm going to train them how to do what I was doing. And, and I've heard of churches that drop those guys because you're no longer church planting. But this is the fruit of church planting is that they're being built up in sound doctrine and that more and more disciples are going out and uh, doing this work and learning how to do this work. So theological education came along, and now uh, what we're seeing is a shift to Bible translation that the churches themselves, instead of us going and doing the Bible translation for them or alongside them or just even teaching them how to do it for themselves, we are now teaching them how to teach others. So that instead of it's Birch and Connie teaching someone how to do this, Connie and I are trying to reproduce ourselves uh, throughout major languages, major church networks throughout the world. So our goal is to equip the churches so that they are able to produce excellent Bible translations, that they are able not just to draft them, but also check them. Uh, they not just check them, but, but also test them with the community and come back and receive feedback and, and revise this translation and, and then get to the point where this is a trustworthy, a faithful translation and their churches are able to trust that, okay, leaders have looked at this, They've, the, people who know more about biblical languages than I do have, have analyzed this, and I can trust this translation. We also want to see the church involved in this process, that it's not that extractive process that I've talked about, but it's actually that the, the church body and the church leadership are all incorporated to the entire process, that as the church is being planted and formed, and as leaders are being raised up, that uh, the, the Bible translation is coming alongside of it as well. And that involves grounding the church in sound doctrine. We want to see that is our goal. Our goal is not to produce a whole bunch of books that are, you know, oh, 
And that's, that's wonderful. I mean, it, there's not, I mean, it's wonderful that people are receiving the word of God, but if it sits on shelves, or if you have a dedication, and I've been to them, of you know, thousands of people show up, and they all take a Bible home, and no one uses it? Then we haven't actually achieved our goal. The goal isn't to print lots of Bibles. The goal is churches that are grounded in sound doctrine. That is the goal. And, the, and a translation of the Bible in their language is a necessary piece of that. But we, we want to see the church flourish, and that's why we do the work that we do the, in the translation work that we do. So our role, um, Connie is working with the translation teams, these, these, uh, these major languages that we work with, and this is, this is something that's very different about what we're doing, is that we are not working with the minority, tiny language that needs the translation. We're working with major languages, and so you'll hear us talking about the Spanish churches and the Russian churches and um, the Hindi church networks. Well, Hindi has 15 translations of the Bible. The Spanish probably has just as many. Russian has plenty. Why are we, why are we doing Bible translation work with Russians and uh, Hindi speakers and Spanish speakers? Because we're equipping those churches who are going out and planting churches in these minority languages, in these tiny tribal languages, and they're the ones who are the closest to that need, and these church planters are coming back and saying, our churches need Bibles, but we don't know how to translate. We don't know how to check. We don't know how to do that. And so we're equipping these church planting networks in major languages that are in these regions so they are able to go and decide for themselves, does, does this language need a Bible translation? Are we going to do their Bible translation alongside of them? And investing in those churches so that then they are able to go out and, and do this. So Connie is equipping training teams. Uh, not, she's teaching teachers is what she's doing. And so she will give them a lesson all in English and um, they will ask questions and they will learn not just how to do it but also how to teach it. They will come up, they will translate that lesson, they'll often come up with their own, their own presentation, their own slideshow and everything, but using the same concepts that Connie has taught them. They'll review that with Connie, and then uh, Connie or her, her training team will sit in as they, for instance, the Russian churches, as they turn around and teach Bible translators how to do this. And so the whole class is in Russian, and Connie's just sitting there, you know, not understanding, but pretty often, especially early on, the Russian teachers are turning around and saying, okay, they just asked a question we don't know the answer to, and we need to add this to the lesson because uh, we, we couldn't answer it. And so they are learning, and they have, they have backup right there. But after you've done that a few times, a few cycles of that, then the, the Russian teachers become more confident, and they, they're able to uh, to teach without somebody right beside them, and they can, you know, it doesn't need an immediate answer. They can email somebody and get the answer back. So Connie is doing training, uh, training the training teams, and I'm working with Bible translation software. I, I'm leading a few teams uh, at 
at Unfolding Word, and we're developing tools, particularly for checking Bible translations. Because, really, the drafting goes quite quickly. Uh, it is, it's, it's not, that's not the bottleneck. The bottleneck is that number, that 284 Bible translation consultants, the ones that, have to, that are doing the checking against the Greek and Hebrew and making sure it's accurate. So we're writing software that these major language, language uh, church networks can use that, that's simplifying that process of checking and walking the people through and giving them all the tools that they need, all the resources they need in order to check their Bible translations so that they can be confident and that they can show, okay, this is why we translated it this way. Uh, those tools have notes uh, for the entire Bible that, that go through literally every phrase, just phrase by phrase, giving what a Bible translation consultant would say about that passage so that the, the translators can look at this and say, okay, um, we aren't sure how to translate this. What would, what would an expert in Bible translation tell us? Well, it's right there in the note. And then the next phrase, and the next phrase, and the next phrase. And they're able to check those and make sure that, okay, we're, we have this help, this guy speaking in my ear all the time, and, and that I can look this up. And then connected to that, we even have training, more general training that's not specific to the phrase, but that part of speech, and just say, how do you translate an idiom? How do you translate a metaphor? And it gives them all that instruction within the software itself. All of that material gets translated into these 50 major languages, what we call gateway languages. And that is so that when the Bible translators are looking at these notes, it's not in English, it's in Russian, a language they use every day. And so they're able to to access this in a, a common language that, the, that they're using in the marketplace or in education. We have seen God work tremendously um, this last couple years. We want to have Connie come and talk about some of the things that, that we're seeing God do. Of course, I look at this and realize, oh, we need to up that. That's <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> the numbers are already out of date. So um, the Russian team, if you talk to Rick, he's probably his, he's, am I seeing, there's Rick, <laughs> his, his favorite language group, I think. The Russians are great because the Russians aren't shy. They'll tell you like it is. You don't have to wonder where they're at. Um, and they have no um, qualms about instructing us in how to improve our training. <laughs> so we've been working with the Russian team for several years now. Um, we went to the Republic of Georgia a few months before COVID hit um, and had a lot of fun with them. Some of the top biblical language scholars in the world are in Russian seminaries, not just American seminaries. And probably one of the top exegetes in the world is a lovely woman, Christian woman um, who teaches in the seminary in Moscow. So they need very little technical instruction from us. In fact, Birch is training their software team and they're helping us develop software um, because they have the depth of skills. Um, but they, had, they didn't know that people in the former Soviet Union needed Bible translation. When we first approached them, they said, well, doesn't everybody speak Russian? 
which is funny because that's the question we often get in American churches is why don't you just teach them all English? Um, and so the Russians kind of have that same perspective. Doesn't everybody in the Soviet, former Soviet Union just speak Russian now? And so they were shocked to find out there's over 30 minority languages um, and a growing number because so many of the countries like Tajikistan and Afghanistan, we've never been able to get in there and really find out how many minority languages there are. So it, it kind of broke out a little bit of a revival within the Russian church and excitement for reaching out to these minority language groups that they didn't even know existed. Um, so we worked for a couple of years to help them put all the translation tools into Russian, the software into Russian, and train, train trainers. And then over the last year, we've been watching them turn around and begin working with minority languages. And, and they tell us about it, so we get to kind of sit in on the excitement. Um, Pastor Samuel, um, they started working with a project in Ukraine, which we won't name, um, but a very oppressed minority language group, and, and somebody had tried to do a little translation work with them, but it was kind of the old, somebody comes in that doesn't really know the language and tried to work with some helpers and translate a few books, and it doesn't sound like their language really at all, so they tried to use it, and basically it's sitting in the basement, um, not being used. So Pastor Samuel has been going up every few months and, and trying to do teaching as a pastor with them. So he learned how to do Bible translation, and he's like, oh, that would be so wonderful if we did some Bible translation with this minority group. But he felt like he was a little over his head because he didn't have experience. We had taught him, but he hadn't practiced before. But he's a technician. Um, he actually earns a living by, by, by working on software. So he went up, set up computers, and connected with one of the more experienced trainers in Tajikistan, who for security reasons couldn't come to Ukraine to train them. So he had his coach, and he worked with this group of believers to teach them. And he said, we're going to do 3 John first because it's really short. So we can teach them the whole translation process and checking process and get the book. His goal was the book of 3 John finished in two weeks. And each night, he would teach through the book of 3 John to the church. And then during the day, he would train the smaller group to do Bible translation. And so he taught the church, you're going to have to check all the work they do. So we need to talk about some of these, like Birch was saying, these terms that are going to be difficult. How are you going to translate them? How are you going to translate redemption is a hard one? I mean, we redeem soda cans in Maine, and that's about <laughs> the only thing, that, the only time anybody uses that word anymore. Um, and so how are we going to do that? And you need to be aware that these are the things that your translators are struggling with and help them decide, how are we going to translate this metaphor? Are we going to trans do we have something like that that we can use, or do we need to translate the meaning so it's not confusing? These are the things they're going to be struggling with and give the church an excitement about the project and that we're coming alongside our translators and we're going to help them and we're going to check it. They were so excited when they finished the book of 3 John that they actually got it printed and distributed. It's a small number of believers, just you know, a handful of house churches, but they distributed copies to all the house churches and they were all studying through 3 John together. So Pastor Samuel was telling about us about this. He says, I was driving home. And I just started crying because I realized this was a historical moment. History was forever changed because the book of 3 John did not exist in this language before, and now it does. And I got to be part of that. Hmm. And he was just crying. He just says, I was just humbled. Like, why would God allow me to be part of this? The cool thing is, about eight years ago, I went to the Republic of Georgia. And I had that same experience working with a small language group in 
they actually are, 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 are based in an, another country and they had come to the Republic of Georgia because it was a safe place for us to work and they didn't even have an alphabet for writing their language. And so we had worked with them and, and figured out the best way to write their language. And um, one of the pastors had been talking to me, he says, this, this changes history. Bef yesterday we could not write our language and today we can write it. And this will always be a date that's remembered for our people. And I had had the same response of just tears. And now I'm seeing this Russian pastor get to have the same experience that I had mm. in seeing God transform lives. And before, he would have been just on the sideline. Maybe he could have been an interpreter so that I could do it. But now he's the one that God's using to equip this church. And he's there all the time. It's not safe for me to drive across the border into Ukraine. I've never met these people whose lives he's being part of, of God at work and transforming. Um, but he can do it. Um, they're doing a, a project they've taken on in Tajikistan and they're working with. And then the last time we talked to them, they were excited because there's a huge um, Afghani refugee camp in Tajikistan. And a number of believers have been working in that camp already and they're finding remnants of the church there and starting having, having meetings with them. And they said, we're finding minority language groups. Maybe we'll get to do Bible translation for projects in Afghanistan that we never could have done before all these refugees and Christians started fleeing. So it's just amazing to see God, what he's doing. The Spanish church, that's one of my favorites because they're the most independent. Like they're taking and running with it. The Spanish church is the only one where we're actually not providing any financial resources. They said, if you pay us, then you control it. There will always be some control of what we do. And so we're not helping in any way, even in funding the Spanish, developing the Spanish tools or the software or any of that. Um, the churches have taken that on themselves and are just running with it. Um, it's a church network um, based in Venezuela. And if you know anything about world politics, you know Venezuela is probably one of the, the worst countries, you know, it's definitely in probably one of the top 10 worst countries to be in. Um, and yet the churches have been so excited about this because it's something they could do. Um, even in their situation, they can do Bible translation. And they already had been doing church planting in a number of minority groups, and it, it really closely connected with them. And so now they can, they've been doing church planting, now they can do Bible translation. Um, and they're reaching across the borders already. Um, they're training Spanish-speaking churches in Colombia to help with minority language groups in Colombia. They're training Bible um, transla uh, translators and churches in um, Guatemala. But in Mexico, the Spanish church has really oppressed the minority language groups, and they don't, they don't trust them. And so the Venezuelans, they trust. And so the Venezuelan Spanish churches have been helping the Mexican minority churches start doing Bible translation. Um, so it's really interesting to see how God's using it in different ways in different places. We have tried to start the Portuguese churches in Brazil, um, start training them and get them excited and have had no luck no traction, just haven't been able to get anywhere. But the Spanish churches in Venezuela have close connections with the Portuguese churches, and they'll listen to them when they won't <laughs> listen to us. <laughs> and so the Spanish churches are actually the ones that are starting to train the Portuguese church networks. And they have, the Spanish churches, they have visions way beyond us. Um, that what their real heart is for is the, the Portuguese churches have been sending missionaries to China for years. And they've had to all leave, and most of them have settled in Australia, where there's a large Chinese community. So that's what they have their sights on. There's, okay, Portuguese, Brazil's next, and then through the Portuguese, we're going to reach the Mandarin. 
um, and we're going to teach them, and we're going to be involved indirectly in, in Bible translation in China through, through this work. Um, the Burmese, of course, if, again, if you watch the news, Burma's struggling. What? Oh, <laughs> so um, the man that we've had that has been helping um, manage Coordinate. project coordinator for Vietnam and Myanmar, um, he's gotten a very aggressive form of cancer, has had to step away completely from ministry. We're praying God restores him, but so far there's not much hope that the doctors are offering for that. Um, so the, the man who speaks Portuguese and Spanish fluently, that's been the project manager for South America and Latin America, um, he said, you know what, I think God's calling me to step into this gap because he's trained people and he has people that could step into project management for the Spanish and Portuguese, but we don't have anybody for, for Southeast Asia. So he was talking to um, the, the Spanish team about this, and he says, I'm going to be leaving you. He, and they said, maybe you can word it better than me. We're going with you. Yeah, we're going, now we get to go with you to Vietnam and we get to go with you to Myanmar and be part of what those projects are doing. So a very different perspective from what we have. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's true. Because what we want eventually is that these networks are so trained that if God takes, makes it so that we are not able to minister from the United States anymore the way we are free to minister now, um, they're going to they're gonna run with it. They're not going to need us to keep it going or our money to keep it going. Um, they're going to go far and beyond it. Yes, yeah, so we're developing our training online um, because, you know, nobody can travel right now and to give the churches more freedom to work at their own pace and not just when we're available. Um, but we didn't have a learning platform, and so we researched about 30 different ones, what's free and open and the churches can take and adapt and develop their own training. And the best one had been developed in Peru. And come to find out our Spanish network was already using it for training pastors. And so they're actually hosting our learning platform, and they're training us how to use it because they've used it a lot and we've never used it before. Um, so that's another fun one where they're, they're teaching us as well as us teaching them. And so the Burmese are working right now. Um, the Burmese that we have trained are working in eight different languages and, and trans helping them translate. They're starting with open Bible stories because the minority languages that they've targeted are, have very few believers. Um, they're mostly either Buddhist or Muslim. And so they said, we need to start with a basic understanding of scripture. So we're gonna start with open Bible stories. If you wanna see what those are, we have an English copy that you can actually read um, on the back table. Um, but they're doing those and doing Bible studies using that first with the intention of moving on to scripture. And then the Vietnamese have three um, church groups that they're working with. Um, and they're sending people and they're training every few months. They'll, they'll have the churches come together and, and work with them um, and are moving forward on those projects. So, oh, I guess I got this one. Um, <laughs> the, we're also trying to reproduce ourselves as far as software teams. And this is just, just like kind of mind-blowing to me that it's, it's not simply, oh, we're producing this software and then, you know, we benevolently give it to you. Um, as the ones who know what you need. And, but instead, we are actually uh, slowing down our own software development so that we can take time to 
train software developers that are in the churches. Um, right now we're working with a team in Russia, a team in India, and um, a number of programmers in Venezuela uh, on the Spanish team. Working with them so that they can develop software that will interact, interconnect with the software that we're developing, and that they, they know what their people and their groups need, and they're using these tools to uh, provide for those needs, but coming up with the solutions themselves. They're using some of our code, they're writing some of their own code, and the work that they do feeds back into our software. It feeds back into what we call an ecosystem of that these tools become available, not just to the Russian team or to us, but to all the teams that we're working with, that they're, they're now available for them. Um, and we've, we've broken it down into components. Um, think of like Lego bricks. And that so they can be built up, the components can be put together and made into a single application. But we're doing that so these other teams can say, okay, we don't need our Bible, we don't want our Bible study app to look like this. We want it to be this way and have these features. And those teams in Russia, in India, in, in uh, Venezuela can decide for themselves what their people need. And so this was, this was exactly our, our goal as we made this shift was that we want to reproduce ourselves overseas, not just teach people to do, but actually that they are uh, fully equipped so that they can train other people, uh, so that there's Birches and Connies all over. And um, if you've read about Larry and Annie in our letters, you know, Larry's a programmer who is a pastor, um, and Annie has her master's in education, and so meeting them, it was just like, okay, Lord, we wanted to multiply ourselves, but you, you're making it really obvious <laughs> here <laughs> that, you know, it's just our counterparts and our peers in, in, um, in, in Venezuela working with a Spanish team. And it's just, just beautiful uh, to see this, this actually bearing fruit and coming to pass. A couple of things we have coming up on the, the near horizon to be praying about. Um, it, we were actually, they were hoping we would, meet with uh, a group of Iranian pastors and leaders from the underground church um, in the Netherlands this month. Uh, because of new COVID restrictions in the EU, it's gonna hopefully happen sometime in November. Uh, but they have a passion for getting all the tools and training in a Farsi so that they can work with the minority um, language groups within Iran. So be praying about that and obviously the security things involved um, with that. There are also the, the church in Indonesia has approached us and they would really, since the missionaries were all pretty much forced to leave Indonesia, Bible translation work has come almost to a halt there. Um, and there's huge needs. And so they're hoping that we can help them before the end of the year begin producing. There's actually a couple of different uh, majority languages in Indonesia in use that we would need to put all the tools and training into and, and get trainers in those languages if they're gonna start moving forward with the translations there. So just pray God's timing and safety and all those things and, and those as we try to get those um, church groups uh, started. Hmm. We have a few minutes for questions. Or answers. We'll take either <laughs> one. Yes, sir. Okay, sorry, yeah. So really, if you, if you want a complete set 
of Bible translation resources for the entire Bible, even the minor prophets. If you want everything, there's only one language that that's in, and that is English. Uh, even French and Spanish do not have an entire open, available set of all the translation tools and helps and notes and for the whole Bible. So major languages don't have this. So how do we expect these churches to do this? So what we have done is we've produced these, these resources and trying to come up with a minimum set of if you had a, what you need for Bible translation, what would it be? And it's actually a lot of material. Uh, but what we want, what we've done is we've made that completely open. It's posted on the internet. It's, it's available for anybody and it's um, open licensed so that anybody can, can translate it without even asking permission to do so. But what we have targeted is 50 major languages in the world. Um, and those are what we call gateway languages. And by reaching those 50 major languages, we have um, done analysis to determine that you can reach those 7,500 languages in the world through these 50 major languages. And so if we can equip the churches to do Bible, in, in those 50 major languages, to do Bible translation, then they can reach out to the languages all around them. So it's through patterns of bilingualism. So everybody in that minority language group can't speak French or can't speak Hindi or can't speak Russian, but they have a few trained people who have gone on to school or to Bible college uh, or do business and can speak that, that majority language fluently. So they at least have leadership within their church that can read the materials in Russian or can read the materials in Hindi. Um, and so it, there's some odd choices there if you look at the list, like Korean isn't on the list, even though it's a major language, there's no minority language groups that speak Korean as a second language. And so it isn't on the list. So it's just large developed languages where there's minority languages that if those resources were available in Japanese, you could translate. Um, and so that's what determines what languages we're focusing on. I think it's Hausa. Hausa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, I'd have to look at the map to know what. If you want to, we, we have it on our computer. We can pull it up afterwards <laughs> and, and look and see if there's more. Yes. Gateway. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're actually starting a new project where we're trying to, this right now, a lot of this is theoretical. So we're actually trying to create a database of every single minority language and what it, maps to. what it maps to, to see if we've got all the right ones and if we have enough. So right now they have 43 identified. They're just saying we don't know enough. There's probably going to be another seven. Um, and then they're talking about pillar languages, where maybe there's a language that's not like for the whole country, but maybe regionally that we need to add a few more. Um, and so they're actually have somebody that's now taking responsibility for that, for doing the research, for plugging it in, for contacting pastors and leaders in the different countries and seeing, okay, so what do you think is actually needed in this country? Um, and so that's an area that we're still doing more research. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It seems very impersonal, especially in a culture in cultures that are uh, relationship based, uh, to have a Bible that's not in your language. And so when a pastor gets up and he's speaking your language and you're praying in that language and you're singing songs in that language, but then he opens the Bible and he switches languages. Okay. Well, God, God speaks something else. God's distant. God doesn't have that close relationship with me because he doesn't speak my language. And the models, the models, models are meaning that, that tend to match to the body. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. They are very genuine from me, but it was mm-hmm. Right. So that's mm-hmm. Absolutely. Anyone else? Right now, it's a squeaky wheel. They, so far, <laughs> mostly they're finding us. <laughs> we're specifically looking for church networks that are planting churches in minority groups. In minority groups. groups. So if they already have a heart and a passion for the minority groups. Now, the Russian was an exception, and that actually predates Unfolding Word. It was people that have joined Unfolding Word that made those initial connections and got a vision, uh, helped the Russian church get a vision for minority networks. But typically, like with the Spanish church, they already had minority groups and felt like they were being really restricted in how well they could minister to them because they didn't have Bible translations and they'd already approached the traditional Bible societies and been told no or you know, other things that weren't helpful. So this picture on this slide actually is from Canada, the state of, of Canada in India. And um, we work with the Canada teams and actually the, it's the God at work isn't listed, <laughs> Canada isn't listed on this, uh, this list. Um, but I like the picture because it's a coffee plantation uh, and they grow 50% of India's coffee in, in this state um, near Bangalore. But the Canada team has already planted churches in 100 different minority languages, language uh, groups. And, that, and so they want, they want us to train them how to do Bible translation and give, get the tools in Canada so that they can turn around and do a hundred Bible translations. Uh, and so you, you talk to them and you're just like, these numbers are just, you, you, they'll, bring, they'll bring five group language groups to train them and then the next workshop they'll bring five groups and you say, are these the same? No, 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 these are five more and five more. And they, they, I mean, they have a goal for, we want to hit 50, and then, but we've got 50 more waiting right behind those. So that's why we call them gateway languages, because you are, you're just opening the floodgates for these people who are already at work planting churches to give them the equipment so that they can just run with it much faster and much, much more access than we ever could have. Yes, Denny. Sure. Um, so, <laughs> I don't have any slide pictures of it, but what we're doing—if you're on the missions committee, we'll show you a slide yeah, this I afternoon. Yeah, I can show you some stuff <laughs> this afternoon. But so we have we have tools for aligning the text to the Greek and Hebrew. Um, so, checking to make sure that it's correct to 
this, the, the text, uh, then we have a word check, a kind of a kind of sort of like a key term check. Um, but for each of those words, we have consultant notes that tell you about the word redemption and, and the meaning of this and other pla key places that it's used. Um, so tr training them as they're checking it and as they're marking, okay, here is our translation for redemption and here is our, the next verse that has redemption. Yep, next, the next, the next. And they are highlighting each of those and making sure the word is there, making sure they translated it consistently. Then we have what we call translation notes and that's at the phrase level. And these notes are, the, the notes are so powerful and I, I really, um, it's, it, to me it's like this is the key checking tool. Um, the other tools are very important, but the notes, because I sat in um, listening to Connie's dad do translation consulting, um, and so they would get to uh, a metaphor or even just a phrase like, um, Titus, my true son. And they would have to talk about that. And what did you use here? Did you, did you, is the word you use here, is that going to, is everybody going to think, Oh, Titus is Paul's biological son. You know, is that, is that what we're going to come up with? Because then you've mistranslated it. It's, you haven't taught, told them. And so your word for true needs to actually imply that it's, or have this layer of spiritual um, in some way so that that's understood. Uh, well, that's all included in the note. It's not just a general note about, the word true, wherever it's used. It's that context, that spot. And so writing notes about phrase after phrase in that one place in scripture, it's just a huge volume of material, but it gives the translators what we call just-in-time checking, that when they're in that spot, this is the information they need. But then on top of that, we have a textbook for Bible translators that is connected to that type of phrase. So if you want more general information on how do we translate metaphors? If you're checking a metaphor, you have the specific note for that metaphor, and then you also have the training for the five, five ways to translate metaphors accurately. And so giving them all those materials. And so, but they, are, they aren't just reading through this, they're having to highlight the phrase and say, yep, this is the, this is what we chose, this is how we translated that piece. And then they go to the next and the next and the next and they're just working through those phrases. And we also have um, translation questions, so we want the church to then read the translation. And they're fairly basic questions that if this is translated clearly and accurately, you should be able to answer these questions from it. So they'll take it and read it in the church or in the village and ask those questions to make sure that, that nothing's been missed and that everything's clear and there's not a misunderstanding if you read it out loud and everybody giggles and probably there's a word change that needs to be made. Um, and we also have study notes and study questions so they can take those and then study them in depth um, and use them before they actually print a, a finished Bible so that they've studied them in depth in the church and make sure, yes, this is communicating and we're able to study. Because at some point in time, it transitions from this is a translation that John and Joe and Mary did to this is the word of God that I have to obey. And so that's often the sticking point that happens is can I really obey this for, for faith and practice the same way the Spanish 
with the Spanish Bible or the English with the English Bible. And so it's building that confidence in the church that this is a reliable translation in your language for faith and practice. Well, we should close, but um, uh, we'll be, we have a table out there and some prayer cards and um, the Open Bible Stories book um, as well, but we'd love to talk to you, uh, any of you about this. So um, let's, uh, I'll, I'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is not far away from us, that it is not across the sea or we have to ascend to some great height to reach it, but it is near to us, that you gave us a word that is practical for our daily life, but is um, infinite in its depth to impact our spiritual life. Lord, I pray that we would cherish it, that we would treasure it, and that your people would receive their w your word in their language. In Jesus' name, amen.